Welcome to Grown Up 80s for January 2021, a podcast where two friends talk about the things we loved as kids growing up in the 80s and that we still enjoy today. Maybe. This time... <laughs> why are you laughing? Yeah. This time we're watching a movie and talking about it. The movie is... You waiting for me? Yeah, I was going to let you introduce that. Slipstream from 1989, right at the end of the 80s. But still an 80s movie. Yes. How come I don't say stuff like, joining me as usual is Robin Harbin on bass guitar? Yeah, I don't know why because you didn't say that this I guess, time. I don't know. I think that's for the other podcast that oh, I say that. We okay. just assume that everybody knows it's Darren and Robin on Grown Up 80s. Yeah. So, yeah, Robin. Yeah, hi, Darren. Doing well? I'm doing good. I got some tea. We're in, uh, what is it, week number three of lockdown? Is it really? Something like that. How many weeks are we doing of this? Well, it's going to be at least four, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have the feeling it's going to be even more with all that oh, jail, we've got all like jail cases. At least two, yes. Well, yes. Yeah. I thought we've got at least two more weeks left. Anyway, you've got your nice big Christmas tree peace mug going on, peace. filled with soup. I'm, I'm drinking soup out of my coffee mug. It's gigantic. I've got my liquid refreshment here. And yeah, so we're talking about 1989's Slipstream, the movie, the sensation, <laughs> the, the, movie. the triumphant comeback of Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weird movie. I remember working at the video store when this showed up and it was like, what? There was a Mark Hamill movie? What? It never even made it to theaters? Yeah. What? It went direct to video? What is... What is going on? It's strangely, it became a favorite movie of mine, and I still love this movie. I've watched it so many times. I'm happy that you dared to watch it. Well, and yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it. It does make me wonder why didn't we do a whole bunch of other movies that we universally like, but uh, <laughs> but, but instead we're doing <laughs> instead, this. Instead, we're watching this one, but. But, uh, on the other hand, uh, I'm excited about it. We'll see where well, it goes. Well, yeah, you know what? Overall, I really like this movie. And as, as we were just talking about, um, I think I've seen it like four times now. Oh. I think I've watched it three times this week. Oh, wow. And it gets better and better. It gets better the more you watch it. <laughs> I'm just going to change the way I phrase that. It gets better the more, at least the more I watch it, yeah. the more I enjoy it. I enjoy it more each time I watch it. Now, I did watch it way back in the day when it was out in video as well. And I think we were talking about this on our exclusive, or was it our chinwag? On one of our episodes recently. recently. Yeah. And how, like, I fe this is one of the movies that I fell asleep during. Yes. Oh, that that's how we got the idea to even do this, didn't we? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, because we were talking about, uh, was it Buckaroo Banzai? Mm -hmm. uh, and how, yeah, we everybody fell asleep to that movie. Mm -hmm. And then what were some others? Anyway, Slipstream came up. Yeah. And we're like, yep. And I, and I really didn't have, the only memory that I had of it besides falling asleep and was that, you know, oh, he's like, Mark Hamill is trying to fix a plane and fly through a canyon or something like that. <laughs> but now, now I know all sorts of things about the movie because yeah. I've watched it three times this week. So, yeah, I guess it should go without saying that we're going to end up spoiling it. So if you really want to see this movie, 
and you really want to hear us, you should probably go watch it, then mm-hmm. come back to us. Yep. I, I doubt anybody's actually going to do that, but it's just a warning. There's a warning. Yeah. yeah. So should we explain the movie for those people who haven't watched it? Not the whole movie. Sure. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Give, I, a, give a synopsis of what's going on here. I actually transcribed the opening monologue. Perfect. So I'm going to do my best Kitty Aldridge uh, impersonation. Yeah. Do you think I'll sound like her? Not at all. No. <laughs> You're right. Okay. By the end of the century. No, that doesn't sound like No, her no, at all. don't do that. That's no good. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's no good at all. By the end of the century, man's destruction of the Earth's environment turned the forces of nature upon him. There are many stories about the converging earthquakes that split continents apart, mixing civilizations together, about the floods that buried the cities and the emergence of a river of wind called the slipstream that washed the planet clean. Those stories all happened years ago, but this story is about a fugitive traveling the slipstream who needed a friend. Yes. And that, that really is the story. Yeah. And it actually took me like, so I watched it way back in, actually, I probably watched it in the very early nineties when it was released on video yeah. in North America. This did get like a theatrical release um, in, at least in Great Britain. Yeah. Apparently. In Kingdom. That's right. Apparently just in the UK and a really poor turnout in Australia where it made like 60,000 bucks total or something oh, like okay. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So yeah, like when I first watched the movie, I thought, okay, this is a Mark Hamill thing. Let's watch Mark Hamill do his thing. And then I fell asleep. And then I watched it this week. I watched it, I guess, last weekend. And it's like, okay, let's watch this Mark Hamill movie and see what this movie that is that's all about Mark Hamill is all about. <laughs> and then I got to the end of it. And it's like, hang on for a second. This isn't really a Mark Hamill movie. Of course it is a Mark Hamill movie. He's, he's one of the stars of the movie, but he isn't the main deal in the movie. And that last line, what's her name? What's the actor's name there again? Kitty Aldridge. The last Belitsky is her name. Yeah, that's right. So the last line that Belitsky, the uh, Kitty, Kitty E, what's her name? Oh, I forgot it again. (laughs) Kitty Aldridge. Kitty Aldridge says in, in the intro there, the story is about a fugitive who traveled the slipstream who needed a friend. That's the core of the story. Yeah. And so I watched it through and I understood that I was misunderstanding what the story was about, at least entering into it. And then upon subsequent viewings, it's like, yes, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. This is the heart of the story. Yeah. This is the development that we're supposed to be paying attention to. That's great. Yeah. So you've got, basically four main characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's Hamill's character, which is Will Tasker and Kitty Aldridge Belitsky. And they are like a pair of cops yep. that apparently are, have, have some kind of official status with some government, but you don't mm-hmm. know, there's no other signs of actual government or law. Yeah. Apart and, from these And I'm two. wondering... Like it, it seems that they are sanctioned by somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, they're at one point Tasker is like typing up his report that presumably is going to somebody at the same time, his character almost seems like the kind of guy who is just 
I am the guy who's going to do the right thing and clean up this planet. And maybe he's, maybe they are a law unto themselves. Yeah. Um, it's not totally made clear. Like you said, you know, we're not given any, any other indication of any other lawmen or governments who are really running things. So yeah. Who says you're the law? Maybe you just say you're the law. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's right. It's kind of like judge dread where there is some other authority, uh, by mm. when, the, when you're out there, or I guess even like a sheriff or something where that, that person can take the law into their own hands, so to speak. They are the law, sure. at least out there, because there's no other uh, civilization. There's mm-hmm. no other organization. And the other character we meet right away is this well-dressed man running mm-hmm. from them. They're originally chasing him in an airplane mm-hmm. and then on foot. And they arrest him. Actually, you think they kill him at first. Yeah. And well, then, you you would assume that that he would be killed <laughs> at first, right? Yeah. And even that didn't click with me, like because I didn't know what this character's backstory was going into it. Even though you told me about it, I didn't write really clue into it when I was watching it the first time. And it's like, yeah. So the way they apprehend this guy is like they're flying down, they swoop over top of him. You know, he jumps off this small rock cliff. Um, they get out. He's standing at the top of this big cliff, and they've got like this. Um, what do you call like a grappling hook? Yeah, type like thing. a grappling hook. So and they shoot it up to him, and it like it goes through his wrist or something like that. And you know he yells his little sheriffy type words to him, yanks on the cord, and the guy falls off this massive cliff. Yeah, but he doesn't die, and that didn't strike me as odd for some reason the first <laughs> yeah. time and then, I was watching it this week. Yeah, and and when you realize he's alive, he immediately starts quoting uh, poetry. Yeah, <laughs> while he's getting arrested. And, uh, so I think at the beginning of the movie, you definitely think Tasker and Belitsky are the good guys and this guy's bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they round them up and yeah, like the slipstream basically means that all the roads got destroyed. There's no, uh, you know, there's no highways anymore, mm-hmm. but there is this river of wind and, the, that cleans the earth. That cleans the earth, and yes. and the the like the rich or the the people well off enough to get an airplane are the only ones who can actually travel around, right? Long distance. So yeah, they take this guy uh, in the airplane, and they go to the equivalent of a truck stop. Mm-hmm. Really, it's like a, yeah. a cafe. Basically, but, they go to Moss Eisley Spaceport. Yeah, it, it is yeah. just it is like Moss Eisley. Yeah, and there. Uh, that's where we meet the other major character, Bill Paxton of Aliens fame. Yeah. The guy who said, game over, man, game over. Uh, oh, you mean the guy from Test Drive? Yeah, from Test Drive and yeah. also from Laser Force, <laughs> Laser Tag. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Do you remember sure. when we used to yeah. go play Laser Tag? Yeah. And the end of every game was that game over quote. That's right. <laughs> okay, before we really get into... Um, Matt's, um, the character's name is Matt. Before we get into him, can we just go back and talk a little bit more about the actual slipstream itself? Oh, yeah. Okay, so in the introduction, the slipstream is described as this cleansing force, Mm -hmm. um, these rivers of wind that are cleaning the earth. 
Um, and as we watch the movie and perhaps as we watch like some behind the scenes documentaries with the producers explaining what's going on, we're meant to understand, like you were saying, that this is the only way to really travel around is there's these currents, these rivers, these currents of wind that if you've got uh, a balloon or some sort of light aircraft or something, you can get around the earth and that's really the only way to do it. It's really hard to translate a river of wind visually. Wind isn't something that you can see. You see the effects sometimes, but when you don't see the effects and you just see people flying around in canyons or sometimes not even canyons, the effect of the slipstream thing really isn't as pronounced as perhaps it should be. I, the movie's called Slipstream. They introduce it like it's a pretty big thing at the beginning of the movie, and you can't really see it in the movie. And to me, that was a a bit of a problem because I just, it was hard to understand, well, if they're flying around, why don't they just fly wherever they want to go? It's, it's really not, you don't see it made clear that this is the only place they can be flying down these highways of air. Yeah, that's right. And the intensity of the slipstream really seems to vary depending mm -hmm. on where you are. Yeah. But maybe the deal is, I really don't know how the balloons get away with that. They just go on up and then whoosh, yeah, you the think slipstream that just gone. blows them down. Yeah. Some, sometimes the slipstream is a horribly violent, violently windy thing Yeah, uh, at one point in the movie. So maybe when they're flying through these canyons, it's like, this is where the wind is helpful, but not destructive. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. and you do see other vehicles just making their way down the slipstream. Like you said, balloons, mm -hmm. other airplanes. So mm -hmm. there is still some sense of these are kind of like highways. There are vehicles. They don't know who each other are there, mm -hmm. but they're traveling together yeah. to the next stop, wherever that yeah. is. Yeah. And there's, there's a few scenes where you actually see like a few planes flying along with a few balloons. There's like yeah. one in particular where there's that sunset and like, those are neat looking scenes. Like I really like the looks of those in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And there's also the, the sense that is the slipstream just a single thing, but at the same time, is it one path that covers the whole earth? Are they wrapping around the earth frequently or is it forking? Because a number mm -hmm. of times Matt see, I think two or three times Matt seems to say that they're lost or, Hey, yeah. I've, I've never been down this part of things before. Yeah. Yeah. But so is it linear or not? Yeah. But at the same time, this is a, to me, this is a very interesting post-apocalypse uh, scenario that I really like post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. movies. Oh, yeah. The Mad yep. Max. Well, you know, I, I collect them. I've got dozens and dozens of DVDs uh, that all fit in this. And this is a unique take mm -hmm. on the uh, on the Earth being changed. And, and in a way, it's a lot more interesting than the desert. I mean, I love Mad Max, but mm -hmm. for a while, every movie was about yeah. that kind of scenario. Okay, sorry, I, I took us off on no, a slipstream there. That's fine. So yeah, we, we finally meet Matt, and they're at this uh, cafe or yep. whatever. Cantina. <laughs> Cantina. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that's where all the characters get introduced to each other, mm -hmm. and Matt finns out that there's a, a bounty 
on Byron. Oh, well, he doesn't have a name yet, but on, no. on the well-dressed man that's yep. being arrested and decides to steal him from Tasker. And then it becomes Matt Owens and the well-dressed man, Bob Peck, mm -hmm. uh, taking off in his airplane and Tasker is once again in pursuit. Yes. With, with Bulitsky. Okay. So yeah, this is where we meet. Well, actually we, we've seen Bulitsky just prior to this as well, but okay. This is one of the first parts of the movie where I have another problem with yeah. it. Yes. Um, it, and I actually find that, that things get better as the movie progress. A number of times throughout the movie, the dialogue <laughs> really just alerts me to the fact that I'm watching a movie. This just does not seem natural the way that, that, that people are speaking. And so the first thing that I really notice this is, is when Belitsky meets Matt for the first time in the cantina. <laughs> yes. So this is a post-apocalyptic place. They're out on the outskirts of humanity. This is supposedly like a real rough and tumble place. There's bounty hunters. There's like these lawmen taking in these killers. And the language, the strong, strong language <laughs> that people use out here, buzz off, fly, fly and die. die. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but So that's what Belitsky says to, to Matt first meeting him. Yeah, but Belitsky's dialogue is especially stilted uh, mm -hmm. throughout the movie, really. There's so many yeah. times where her lines are really weird. And Yes. Yeah, and I don't know why. Like if she wouldn't have said, these lines are terrible, write me different lines. Mm -hmm. uh, and she says them with such drama and such conviction. But yes. Yeah. It, it's weird dialogue. It is some, there's some weird. So I'm going to, I'll probably end up pointing out a few things. Yeah. Few weird dialogue bits that just kind of <laughs> take me out of the movies. Like, really? That's what you're going to say? Because some of the time they'll just drop some not like bad, bad language, but they'll drop some PG language at least. Oh, something yeah. more than buzz off, fly and die. And and there's other, like there's sexual content throughout the, not yeah. throughout, but there are pockets of sexual content in the movie as well. Yeah, it, it, so, oh yeah, it, it could be R-rated. Yeah, it, it's right on the edge of being an R-rated movie. Sure. Uh, based on the content. So it is strange when... Sometimes they do swear and sometimes they don't. Sometimes there is, yeah, it's just kind of all over the place. It's, it's yeah, the, uneven. The strangeness is when they use like playground words instead of <laughs> swear words. Yeah. That's the strangeness for me. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Got Matt. He, uh, he steals the bounty from Tasker and Belitsky. Yes. And, and takes off on his plane. Yeah, and so we should just mention uh, Mark Hamill's appearance in this hmm. movie. What, what do you think of his look? I like his look. Yeah. It's it, a good look. He's He's got, like, his hair is a little bit blonder, like a bit more brassy than it normally is. Yeah, it's and he's like got, this, it's nice and slicked back, and he's got a well-maintained short beard. Yeah, yeah so, He's looking good. Yeah, so with that bleached blonde hair, it's almost bleached, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's yeah, so, sure. Yeah, and same with the beard. So it's a pretty cool look. And then his outfit are these kind of black, uh, he dresses all in black with kind of like a long overcoat at some times. 
Yep, sometimes. And um, other times he's wearing those nice cozy sweaters. That those are nice black sweaters. Well, no, like he's are got they like black? that gray. Oh yeah, he's got like the gray kind of that oatmeal sweater thing going on. <laughs> the oatmeal sweater. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably Irish because they filmed partially in Ireland. Right, uh, and Matt didn't entirely get away free. He got shot by this poison dart. Right. Which is important. Or did he? Or or was it poisoned? We're not sure right he's, away. He's told it's a poison dart. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, it is a tracking yes. something. I don't know. It fills yes. his body full of tracker. That's right. <laughs> he's so radioactive, we can track him. Yeah. Or something. So I, I don't know how it works, but anyway, that's it is important. So yeah, now... They're flying away, and this is when Byron gets his name. I've I've let slip mm-hmm. a couple times, but the the fugitive, yep, actually just is quoting. You know, he quotes the Bible sometimes. He's quoting lots of old poetry, and at one point he makes this quote. And then when Matt's trying to make sense of it, he says, "Oh." Byron, just the word, as if Matt mm-hmm. should go, oh, that you were quoting Byron. Yeah. But really he goes, oh, that's your name, eh? Okay, Byron. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very good. I'm wondering, there's a couple other little points I want to touch on just yeah. as they were having their interaction um, at Moss Eisley there before Matt takes off with Byron. A couple bits of dialogue there. Um, well, there's one silly bit of dialogue. One of the guys inside the canteen, actually, I think it might have been Matt who says, you guys don't know diddly. Okay, that's that strong language again. Um, but when when Matt is talking, before he's actually talking to Tasker about Byron, um, well, actually trying to sell him some stuff, he's talking to some other guys in the cafe about Byron, and one of the guys says to him, his eyes look like death himself staring right through you. So I'm wondering if, you know, that just kind of dropping hints here that Byron isn't quite who he seems to be. You know, we, we know that he's a killer for some reason. He, apparently he killed an old man. Yeah. And, but there's something, there's something strange about the guy when he looks at you. It's not like, not like a person looking at you. It's like death or something else is staring right through you. Yeah. 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 And whenever Byron is asked a question, he answers truthfully or you find out mm-hmm. as the movie goes it's true but yep. it's almost always framed in a misleading way not even byron's fault it's the way mm. the question is asked yeah for sure there's a, a very significant one towards the end of the movie yeah like uh yeah. well well aren't you just a walking storehouse of information <laughs> is what yes, the ma- yeah, he goes, yes <laughs> I wonder why. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also another bit of dialogue from Tusker. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to call him Tusker the whole time. His name is Tasker, Mark Hamill's character that kind of tips his hand as to um, what he's all about. And in some ways, Tasker and Byron are kind of like parallel characters in the movie. They're both kind of always trying to do the right thing. And that that's kind of like, and you've got Matt kind of doing the total opposite of, well, not necessarily doing the right thing, just doing whatever's right for Matt all the time. But Tusker, you know, makes a statement um, when there's the exchange going back and forth and Matt's trying to to steal Byron from Tasker. Um, he says, you know, like, yes, why are you doing this? And he says, well, it's the right thing to do. And that's kind of 
Tasker's modus operandi, the, the whole film. He, you know, he's doing the right thing. Even though, you know, he's bringing people in presumably to face the death penalty and stuff like that, this is the right thing to do. Whatever yeah. he does, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely got a, a very strong sense of of justice, and mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, whether or not it actually is the right thing to do, he believes he's doing the right thing yeah. all the time. Yeah. So in a way, this is uh, this movie is like a road trip movie mm-hmm. where it's very much like a, a journey, a couple pairs of characters, and they get mixed around in different configurations at times. Uh, but of course, with no road, they're doing this on the in the air. Mm-hmm. But there's these segments. They're at one location, then they fly to another location. Something happens there, and and so on. Yeah. So the first place they get to is just the village, which is called. I don't know if he, if Matt's just joking that's Hell's Kitchen, or if they actually, right. or if they actually refer to it as that. And this is where we run into the first of three guest stars i guess that's a, that's a very positive way of looking at, at how that works <laughs> what how, how would you say it robbie coltrane's here why are you just gonna waste him on this like little like he's a little he's a small part and he's about 10 minutes in the movie and it his it seems relatively inconsequential what he contributes to the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, ah, okay. But yeah, it's just a little guest star. I like that. Just a little, hey, yeah, there's somebody you know. Yeah, there are three big name guests, mm-hmm. guest stars who appear at various points in the film. And, but 10 minutes is generous. Like we, yeah. spe- we spend about 10 minutes in his part of the world. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, Robbie Coltrane playing a guy named Montclair, who seems to be, or Montclair, Montclair. Yep. who seems to be the boss of this village. Mm-hmm. But basically you see him in two places. He's sitting in a hot tub, yep, making fun of Matt. And we learn that this is where Matt lived for quite a while. Yeah, not that it matters. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Well, since since birth, although it gives Byron a, the chance to ask okay. some questions. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, apparently this is where Matt was grew up. Okay. And this is his family, even if he's a... Doesn't mm-hmm. seem to care that much about them. And it also allows Byron to visit uh, or or to start revealing some of his mysteries. Yeah, that's right. He finds a young boy who's blind, apparently of cataracts. Yeah. And suddenly he's healed the kid. Yeah. And people start following. So he kind of becomes this kind of Jesus uh, character here. Yeah, uh, yeah Where for people sure. are following him and yeah. And there's, there's some more that he gets to reveal. Like he again gets to show his trustworthiness. Like as they arrive, Matt finds, oh, you've somehow escaped from your handcuffs. And he <laughs> yes. says, yes, well, they're entirely superfluous. Here you go. I, I'm still going to hang out with you because, you know, you're taking me in and that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, you've, you've got me, but I don't need the handcuffs. So, you know, again, showing like his, his honor, his trustworthiness. And then he has, he has a moment where he, he kind of says, you know, that he's got an inkling that, you know, just like Matt, this is the place that Matt belongs. He has an inkling that there's a place where he belongs, but he doesn't quite know where it is. So that's, I think that's one of the first times he kind of drops that little bit of information. Like he has this unknown destination that he wants to get to as well. 
and and he like even has a, a line in there when he's when he's meeting the child who has the cataracts and heals him. He says, "You know, there are no children where I'm from." So yeah, Byron has a place. He doesn't seem to know where it is, but he's trying to figure that out and get back home. Yeah, you were having a hard time uh, pronouncing Robbie Coltrane's character's name, Montclair, Montclair, Montclair. What is it? What is it with Matt Owens? Southern American accent in the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. Yeah, why why would Matt end up with that kind of accent? Uh, Other than the slipstream crashed continents together and tore them apart and threw civilizations all around and jumbled people up. Yeah. It's the Tower of Babel, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's right. So it's kind of neat. Now, that reminds me, I want to talk about there's a clear, this late 80s, early 90s kind of environmentalism that was becoming mm-hmm. popular. I think really in the late 80s, right, is where yeah. it yeah. took off. Because I I think, not, I mean, people all along were worried about the environment, but it got kind of a popular push, I think, from the mid to the late 80s. Mm-hmm. But somehow they're explaining earthquakes, and actually this even happens today, where people are like, oh, we're wrecking the earth. Can't, Can't you tell? You see? Look, Look we're, having all, we're having all these earthquakes. And I haven't heard anybody ever explain that. Like, sure, we could pollute the air and all kinds of things. Yeah. But I've never actually heard any science that backs up the idea that, boy, a lot of earthquakes are going to happen because of how dirty you've made the water or the Come air. On, recycle your plastic. Else the earth's going to get mad at you and earthquake you. Yeah. So it's almost explicitly said uh, in this movie that, yeah, everybody was so bad to the earth that, well, it just had to do earthquakes, you know. Earthquakes, tidal waves, you know. Yeah. had to do something. Okay. Where does the slipstream come from? Where does the wind come from? Like cracks in the earth and whoosh. (laughs) Whoosh. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I guess it that's could, that's just nitpicky, niggly stuff. Yeah, I guess you could you could imagine if we wrecked the air so much uh, and somehow triggered these earthquakes that it would rework the whole air. Um, right, we got the polar vortexes and all that kind yep. of stuff going on. Right, you don't believe? Yeah. You don't think so? <laughs> no, that, yeah, totally. It's all the polar vortexes. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. That that you got all this. You know, you got these, uh, what are the words? Jet stream. The the jet stream. Yeah. So you could imagine that if you did something really bad to the air, that you you could set off years long new jet stream that would become a slipstream. I could imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem the most far-fetched thing. No, there could be much more far-fetched things. Out of this. And there probably are in this movie, but that's okay. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. So, okay. You mentioned earlier that uh, Byron heals this child, mm-hmm. almost like a, a Jesus kind of healing type thing, right? Did yes, you say that? I did. I, I said something like Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel a few minutes ago. Yeah. We've got a few Bible quotes in this movie. Oh, yeah. So so not only Mr. Poetry Byron, who quotes things, yeah, but Tasker as well. So after Hell's Kitchen happens here and yep. uh, Matt takes off with Byron... Belitsky and Tasker show up yeah. just kind of outside of, of Hell's Kitchen here, and they're walking through the bush or the forest, and they come across Montclair and his guys, and there's a bit of a shootout 
well, a lot of a shootout. It yes. seems like everybody dies. It seems like they kill. It seems like Belitsky and Tasker kill them all. Yeah. And so they're burying them under some rocks. And Tasker is is quoting from, from John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live, blah, 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 and all this, right? Yeah. So it it's neat to see that parallel, like the two parallel characters there again, with Byron and Tasker as, as they're doing, I don't know, maybe, maybe like what we're trying to see here is, is, is two people trying to do the right thing, trying to do um, the honorable thing, perhaps trying to be, you know, spiritual or something like that as well on totally different sides of the game, totally yeah. different paths, trying to accomplish or trying to live by the same kind of code. That's right. And maybe even from the same code book. And that's where Tasker kind of really plays his hand. He's talking to Belitsky after they slaughter Montclair and his gang. Mm-hmm. At least we think so. Montclair, they only, yeah. sh- they only show three people being, de- dead people being buried. And I don't yeah. think any of them are Montclair or his nope. son. And nope. you do hear- Oh, is he his son? Is that kid his son? That kid is his son, yeah. It's Montclair's okay. son, yeah. And do you recognize him? He looks familiar. He was on a TV show that I loved in the 80s called Press Gang. It was a UK show yeah. um, about these kids running like a, a, a newspaper. Oh. And oh, I I just loved it. Yeah, cool. I'll tell you about it sometime. Sure. Yeah. Um, you do hear like horses running away or something, but it's funny mm-hmm. how the gun battle ends up, it's like basically they just cut away and suddenly you're just looking at Tasker and Blitzky shooting about shooting like crazy. You don't see the resistance and suddenly at least three and maybe all of them are dead. You do hear mm-hmm. a horse run away. So maybe, uh, some of them got away. Uh, mm-hmm. but after the burial, yeah, they're back up in the air. Uh, yep. and Tasker's Tasker says every piece of human trash put under a rock makes the world a better place. It's our calling. It's our calling. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And then from there, we see them flying um, over these really cool, okay, like they do like, I think they do the the canyons and stuff like that. And there's like the needless naked girl in one of the caves <laughs> yes. that that uh, Matt is flying by. Um, but they've got these really cool cities in the rock, right? Yeah. And these, and these towering, they don't look like they were built, but they look like they're, they're rocks that are, that look like towers that have been hollowed out and stuff like that. This place is in Turkey. I'm sure you know that from reading this. It's a place called Cappadocia and I was there. That is so cool. So I was there in the the mid to late nineties. Yeah. You saw those places yourself. Yeah. I, I was in some of them. Wow. Yeah. Like they're all over the place in central Turkey. Um, in the Cappadocia region. So I don't know if I was in those ones in particular, yeah. but yeah. And uh, so like the tall ones, they call those fairy chimneys. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like a Rapunzel tower out in the middle of nowhere, but it's a natural formation. It's kind of like a hoodoo or something like that. Yeah. And they hollow them out and they make houses out of them. And then um, where we see like this next area that Matt and Byron show up in, um, kind of this uh, this village in the side of a cliff in these rocks and stuff like that. Um, many of those are actually old Byzantine churches wow. that were just carved out of the rock. Yeah, so 
like ancient Christian sites and stuff like that. Oh, it's just really neat stuff. And oh, Turkey's got like so many underground cities just buried in the rock. Oh, fantastic stuff. So yeah, yeah this, this is really neat to see this kind of stuff here yeah, for me. Yeah, so that's really cool that they went to Turkey to get kind of that otherworldly mm-hmm. space, eh? And, and in a way that's a trick. We don't, we haven't even talked yet about Gary Kurtz, who's no. the producer. So we should say that now. He produced... Star Wars. Well, actually, he he produced American Graffiti, mm-hmm. and then Star Wars, and then Empire with yep. George Lucas, and they were tight during that time. And then they got had a big falling out, mm-hmm. and Kurtz got fired or removed or whatever. Uh, so he was out for Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so Kurtz went on. Uh, actually, didn't do all that much. He tried to make this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. and I guess he bankrolled a lot of it himself. It sounds like it. And it went so bad that he went bankrupt. Yeah. And basically, he, I can't find much on what he did with himself after this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, this might've been like the end of his, his producing career. Yeah, nearly. There were some other credits, but they were so minor that Wikipedia didn't even have pages about the production, what they were. Yeah. Like there's nothing. Yeah. Well, hopefully like in the ensuing, what, 30 years, he's gotten some residuals from Star Wars and Empire and, you know, maybe he's not doing too bad anymore. Well, he's uh, passed away, unfortunately. Oh, he's dead. Yeah, he unfortunately he's dead, but just two years ago, I think. Yeah, he just passed away in 2018. Hmm. So two and a half years ago. But yeah, hopefully he was still getting some money from those movies or. Yeah. Or and how about, how about the director? So we got somebody who made Star Wars and the Dark Crystal as the producer. And mm-hmm. as the director, we have Steven Lisberger mm-hmm. of Tron fame. Yeah. Who's like, not only he's the director, but also like the writer. Right and on. actually there's some, at the end, after we were done going through the movie, there's some comparisons between Tron and Slipstream that I think can oh. be made. So we'll, we'll talk. That'd be fun to take a look at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So let's talk really briefly seeing as we're talking about the production folks. Yeah. Um, the composer of the music, yeah. Elmer Bernstein. And like right when the music starts up. So Elm, one of the songs that Elmer Bernstein did was he, or songs, one of the movies that he composed for was Ghostbusters. And don't you hear Ghostbusters like that sneaky woodwind brass type yeah. music throughout Slipstream? Yeah. It's like, like right at the very beginning, it sounds a little bit Star Wars-ish or Indiana Jones-ish. And then the, those instruments come in. It's like, this is Ghostbuster-ish. Oh, this is Elmer Bernstein stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I love the soundtrack. And some, I don't know if it was um, 10 years ago or maybe even 15 already, but uh, this soundtrack got released on CD finally, oh, yeah. but it was mired in controversy after because I... The, all the copyright and the legal status of this whole movie and all the parts of it are very confused. Mm-hmm. And so somehow this small record label supposedly got the rights to produce the soundtrack. I ordered a copy. So I have the official yeah. CD. It's cool. like the only slipstream merch you can buy, <laughs> uh, really. And, uh, I've got it, but apparently afterwards there's more controversy over whether it was actually legit. Oh, really? Yeah. So anyway, ju- that's just a thing to mention, but yes, I think the soundtrack's excellent and I listened to it a lot. Like I had it 
on my computer. I think I was working uh, midnight shifts uh, at the phone company, uh, watching yeah. the phones. I could listen to music most of the night when uh, the phone wasn't ringing. And uh, it was, yeah, I just enjoyed the whole soundtrack. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Getting back to the to the actual movie itself, there's an important quote that uh, is spoken as, I believe, as they're flying, as Byron and Matt are flying to um, basically the place where the wind cult is. Matt asks, what do you dream about to Byron? Yeah. And Byron replies, I don't. Perhaps yeah. I'll dream about that place that I was going to. Yes. So, and these are things that, that just... I just didn't get the first couple watchings, like way back in the early 90s when I watched it, and even the first time I watched it this past week. But I'm noticing more of these kind of hints being dropped along the way the more times that I'm watching. And it, it's making for a, a fun experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they have a little campout scene. I always like movies that have have a campout scene. So yeah, kind of like when the Muppets break down in the middle of the desert and Gonzo has his song. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> just exactly like that. Yeah. And uh, Star Trek V, you know, yeah. a, a terrible yeah. movie in a lot of ways, but hey, they go camping and that makes that movie good. And so likewise, <laughs> they're, they're camping out under, they land the the airplane and uh, lie under it. Oh, did we mention, yeah, there's neat airplanes in this movie yeah. and they're all kind of like ultralights. Yes, that's uh, right. We're like seating two people at the max. Mm-hmm. Tasker's plane is really cool, futuristic looking. Yeah, it's actually a British built plane called an Optica. And it had only been like built like a couple years beforehand. It's like this observatory type plane. So you can drive around. It's got this big bubbly dome in the front of it mm-hmm. where the pilot and the passenger or the co-pilot sit. And you can see above you and below you and to your sides. And you can actually see a little bit behind you and stuff. So it's really cool. And it kind of looks like a jet because it doesn't have a propeller in the front. It's got like this big turbine behind it, kind of where the wings are mounted as well, but it's huge. It's like bigger than the cockpit itself, but it's actually just an electric fan in there. (laughs) You know, so this is an ultralight plane with just a, well, actually, I don't know that it's an electric fan, but it's a fan in there. Um, Not even like a, it's not a jet, even though it kind of looks like a huge jet. It's not even a prop in there. So it's, it's a very efficient plane. It's very light. And it flies the slipstream quite well. Yes. And it looks super cool. Yes. Super cool looking. And then Matt's plane is less impressive looking, but more- Yeah, more conventional. Kind of, yeah, and more, more suited to his. Apparently, it was just a custom built one. And the guy who mm-hmm. invented the plane was also its only pilot. He, yep. did, he did all the stunts for it. So Yeah. And apparently, they had a few models- like remote control mm-hmm. models that they used in the in the movie as well, yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, in that camping out, the other thing is Matt asks Byron, do you always sleep with your eyes open? Mm-hmm. And Byron's, yes. Yep. Yeah, or time, actually he even corrects his, time for some shut-eye, says Matt, and Byron says, mm, sleep. Sleep, that's right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's right, they arrive at their next place, the Wind Cult. So this is kind mm-hmm. of like stop two of the road trip with mm-hmm. with the second guest. And Do you want me to say his name? Go for it. Ben Kingsley. Yeah. Famously yeah. known for being- As Gandhi. Gandhi. They yeah. got Gandhi to play a Gandhi-like character. Yes. But, but with kind of like a terrible mustache. He kind of reminds me of Derek Smalls from Spinal yes. Tap. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's got the longer hair, but with balding at the front. Yeah. 
so yeah, it's like Gandhi with Derek Small's hair and mustache. Yes, and so he's like the spiritual leader of this wind cult. I think we, I think his name is Avatar, and yeah, he's he's another one of these guest stars who's around for like five or ten minutes, like super big name actor. Um, apparently, um, who's the actor who plays Byron again? Bob. Bob yeah, Bob Peck. Yes, apparently um, Ben Kingsley and Bob Peck worked together in. Oh, I don't know which Shakespeare company, yeah. but they worked together on a Shakespeare company for years working together. And so, yeah, Ben Kingsley. Yep. We'll, we'll put you in for a few lines, Ben. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, the wind cult, basically, they seem to think that technology is evil, mm-hmm. uh, but they keep getting attacked. And I've never made out who attacked them, but they mm-hmm. got attacked again Yep, by the technology People, people or something that we don't guns. see. Yeah, I guess yes. with their guns. When Byron and Matt show up, there's like carnage everywhere. There's people injured and dead people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And of course, Byron gets right to work helping these people, heal them yeah. and so yeah. on, doing all he can. And they meet a, a woman named Ariel, mm-hmm. who at first seems very unhappy about their presence, but she becomes uh, a friend after a while. Yeah. Does the other woman who's there, does she know that Byron is on the side of technology at this point? <laughs> because she doesn't seem to want him to be helping Avatar yes. because of technology, right? Yeah. Somehow she seems in on this, even though nobody else seems to know. Yeah. So it's a little strange, but yeah, basically there's two uh, kind of lead strong women there along with mm-hmm. Avatar and Avatar is being injured in this attack. At first, they don't even know where he is. Yeah. And then they find him and he's being crushed by this wheel. I don't know why, but uh, Byron comes up and because he's very strong, uh, is able yep. to move it, no problem. And he happens to have equipment that he can start stitching him up. So he does. Well, actually, he plucks a hair mm-hmm. from his head and yes. uses it to start stitching up a wound. Yes, that's but, strange. But Avatar for also seems to know and says, yeah. no, like, I don't want to be touched by you. I need to get, get me to the, get me to a window so I can see in this cave so I can die with the wind yeah. or something. Yeah, that's right. So the cult doesn't like Byron, even though Avatar kind of comes around to Byron at least. Um, but the cult generally doesn't like Byron. And the next time we see him, he's strapped to this gigantic <laughs> kite thing. Yes. And he is hoisted up in the air by the slipstream. And I guess he's just, the, the the idea is that the wind cult put him up there to let the slipstream decide what to do with this evil guy who's yeah. shown up at their place. Yeah, he's tied to it, like almost like it's a crucifix. So here's mm-hmm. here's another uh, kind of Christ reference here. Mm-hmm. The wind is so crazy strong that it can suspend a guy on a big kite. There, there he is. Yep. And that's when our friends Tasker and Belutsky show up again. Yep. And they're like, oh, and Matt's being tied up too, because I don't know, he's, he's he. A, he's an outsider. He's an Time outsider. Up. They tied him up. Yep. Uh, we won't put you up to let the slipstream decide what to do with you, but we will tie you up and leave you in a cave. So we'll decide. So what to do. count your blessings. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And so Blitzky and Tasker show up and there's a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, they kind of release Matt and they, they find, okay, Byron is flying up here in his, his kite, letting the slipstream decide what's going on with them. Tasker's speaking to Matt about Byron, but Matt doesn't understand it this way. There's a misunderstanding here. Tasker says, you know, androids don't have feelings. Yeah. You mean you didn't know? And Matt responds, Tasker, you're a robot. It makes perfect sense. No wonder you're such a jerk. (laughs) Not me, you idiot. Your perfect buddy upstairs. (laughs) Yes, your perfect buddy upstairs. (laughs) So now we finally understand what's going on with Byron here. Yeah. Is that... He is, he's not a, a perfect buddy upstairs. He's actually an android. Yes. And so that's why he is a, he's just filled with all this knowledge. Yes, I am. Oh, <laughs> going to get some shut-eye? Maybe sleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're able to lift this rock off of Avatar. <laughs> yes. And you have all the skills to heal people. Okay. You're an android. Yeah. This is what's going on. Yeah, if Tasker really does say your perfect buddy upstairs, then that's yet another God reference. Oh, totally. Uh, if if that's the man upstairs, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I actually missed that. I mean, the perfect buddy I got. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, referring him to referring to him being upstairs when he's on the kite there. Yeah, and and there's a there's another really cool line right there too, talking about Byron. He tries to be human but he has to settle for being perfect. Yeah. That's a pretty cool line. I think Belitsky gets to deliver that one. So she does get some good stuff. She occasionally gets good lines. Yeah. So yeah, they do this crazy escape plan. That's probably the most actual action packed part of the movie Mm -hmm. where Matt, you know, straps himself onto the line with a parachute. I don't know where it came from, but rides up the kite line to the kite. Yep. To try to free Byron. And you'd think Byron would be like dead or whatever from or being Or maybe up. had freed himself already, seeing as he can get out of handcuffs. Yeah. But anyway, for whatever reason, he was still strapped in there, but he's like, oh, nice of you to join me or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's this hundred mile per hour winds and they're getting blasts, like sand blasted practically. Yeah. Uh, but Byron's all cool. Uh, Matt decides that he's going to cut them free which seems like a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. And then Blitzky, Blitzky's down there and she's saying, oh no, they're going to get away with the bounty. I better go up there too. Yeah. So, so now three of them are up there. And meanwhile, like, I don't know why they had this idea that Matt would work with them, but Tasker, I don't know why Tasker didn't go himself. Instead, he's ready to shoot them if they mess up. Yeah. So as soon as Blitzky arrives... Matt cuts the cord on and, the kite. And Belitsky, oh, the language she uses up there again. I knew your word wasn't, wasn't worth a cup of spit. <laughs> spit? That was the yeah. word that was there? Okay, good enough. So if the wind is blowing so so strongly that it can hold a kite with three people on it. Yeah. Up, when you cut the cord, what do you think that kite would do? Maybe fly up higher into the air yeah. if it's a well-built kite? Yeah, I would assume yeah. it would. But instead, it almost immediately goes down and dashes itself into a mountainside or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then somehow Stump turns around and runs right over Tasker. Yeah. And he's out of the movie for a while. You're not sure if he's dead or what. 
yeah, I don't know what happened to him. Did it knock him off the mountain? What? Yeah, yeah. I didn't get that either. But it's still crazy uh, environment. So Byron goes about rescuing. He rescues Belitsky, mm-hmm. and then yep. he rescues Matt. Matt, and then he goes out again trying to find Tasker, but instead finds just Tasker's harpoon thing. Harpoon thing. Grappling gun. Grappling end. hook, and he finds Ariel. Yes. And uh, the one of the women from the wind cult, yeah, brings them all to this cave where they're safe, and then they become a unit. And it seems that Tasker's dead. Yeah. Uh, and is is this the place where things kind of switch for Matt and Byron? They they go from being uh, bounty hunter and bounty to at least being starting to become friends. And, and oh yeah. And this is where Byron see, or this is where Matt starts seeing the value in Byron and is thinking, okay, maybe this guy could be more of a partner than a, than a paycheck. Yeah. Ooh, that was a good line there. That is more a good of a partner than a paycheck. That is a good line. Thanks. Yeah. And Matt's also being on and off flirty with Belitsky mm-hmm. and she's sending mostly grumpy messages back to him, but occasionally. Yeah. Well, even like, almost like in the first scene that they were together, at least when they were out on the airstrip, when they were back at Moss Isley, she has some sort of, uh, comment that you know I bet on the wrong guy when I yeah plan when I when I hooked up with not hooked up with but when I partnered up with Tasker yeah I should I should have partnered up with with Matt here instead yeah although that was clearly at that point a ruse because well there was she, a ruse in part of it yeah because but she that d- line gets echoed back later on yeah it, it does yeah, yeah. so uh, they go off but. You think Belitsky's going to become part of the crew, but then she decides she is going after Tasker mm-hmm. to, to try and find him again. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a new, the trio of Matt, Byron, and Ariel. And mm-hmm. Ariel, it leads them to her home. So they, they fly again. Well, first they, they discover First that, they walk to the plane. Yeah, they walk to the airplane, discover that it's in pieces- yeah. But then reassemble it. Yeah. And then strap Byron to the wings. <laughs> and then, yeah. And they're like, well, there isn't room for three of us. So, yeah. <laughs> so you find out when they're in mid-flight that it is Matt and Ariel flying inside this airplane. And yeah. Byron is strapped to the wings on top. But he's all yeah. quite happy about it all. <laughs> Oh, he's very happy yeah, about he's just, it. He waves down at them. Yeah, and he's smiling. <laughs> and it's on that plane flight as well that that Ariel starts to show her hand in that she admires Byron as well. And, you know, talking with Matt about, you know, what's what's the important part of a person, she says something like, Well, you know, it's what's the it's what's on the inside that counts. Mm-hmm. And Matt has a great reply to that. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And that's what his insides do best. Count. No, yep. <laughs> He's just a big calculator. Suddenly the plane decides it's not working very well. It's crashing. Mm-hmm. It goes down. And they land in Ireland. And they la- yeah, and they do land in Ireland. <laughs> and and I, I like the moment about how it's like Byron, what's on your head? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And Byron's just kind of standing there, but it's a long shot. I like how it's played. Uh, but basically, the airplane crashed with Byron on top of it, and the wings came right off, and he mm-hmm. slid like how far ahead. Yeah. But he's fine, of course. And he gets something, he's got this big piece of sod on his head. <laughs> 
but you only see it from a distance. And Ariel says, what's on your head? And he, he reaches up and takes this big piece of sod <laughs> off his head and looks at it. Yep. And then he's checking if they're okay. But it's all done. Uh, actually, to me, that's a very good bit of filmmaking or the, the mm-hmm. way they shot that. And then they finally arrive. We're finally an hour and three minutes into the movie. Yep. <laughs> and how long have we been recording? An hour and three minutes. No way. I thought that you meant we were an hour and three minutes yeah. into the podcast. Yeah. yeah. And the timestamp on the museum is yeah. hour three. So Ariel lets them into their place and she gets a bunch of complaints from the inhabitants. Right. So they, so where they're at, they're at this museum cathedral place, perhaps underground, perhaps buried, but this is actually Ariel's home. So Ariel, yeah, she was a, an outsider at the wind cult. And when she took them to this other place, that wasn't really her place. Her real home is in this museum-y kind of place. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And so they get in there and some of the occupants do complain at her, like, you shouldn't be bringing outsiders in here. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it's okay, I will take care of them or whatever. But this is where they wander through the museum. And yeah, there's like all kinds of artifacts, there's sculptures, there's books. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that Byron really appreciates all this stuff to yeah. see it and, in person. And and everybody's wearing suits and bow ties and evening gowns, and they all drink champagne and dance to classy <laughs> music at this place. Yeah, so and we wonder, how do they maintain this standard of living? <laughs> And it's yeah. never really explained. Yeah. So they've just got a bunch of old stuff stored away in there somehow. Mm-hmm. But yeah, somehow they maintain it's this kind of continual party where people are drink, drinking champagne. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem entirely plausible, but somehow they happened upon, they've got power, they've got mm-hmm. what they need and they got food. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a party. So this is where... Byron and Ariel really start their relationship mm-hmm. and Matt finds a girlfriend mm-hmm. there as well. So he doesn't mind hanging around for a while Yeah, and they have at least a day, maybe two, like they have at least one night, uh, there together and mm-hmm. there's some strange moments. There's this wildlife exhibition and Byron roars like a lion and yeah, well, that's, that's kind of where. Ariel and Byron are, you know, exploring their, perhaps their romantic relationship. Yeah. There. Yeah. And Byron, both in the library and in this wildlife exhibit, you know, he, he reveals more of himself to Ariel. He tells about his former master. Presumably this is the man that he killed, the old man that he killed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that, that he says that explicitly, but you know, I, I think that's what we're we're supposed to understand. And then both he and Matt are kind of having their parallel journeys with their lady friends and they both go to sleep. Yeah. And Byron goes to sleep. Yeah. For the first time ever. Yeah. And it's explored a little bit with the people in this place about how bored they are and about mm-hmm. how nothing changes and how... Uh, they can't hole away here forever and this sort of thing. So the next morning, Matt goes looking for Byron and Mm -hmm. Byron's down in the bowels of this place, fixing Mm -hmm. the air conditioning system or the air purifier or whatever it is. There's a funny moment with two guys wearing those kind of gas masks Yeah, and they suddenly take them off and then they go, 
He fixed oh. the air. Yeah. Of course, other parts of the building obviously were good enough to be have their party going on. Did those guys kind of accompany Byron partway down into this part that was unbreathable air? Or were they just hanging around there? Wearing gas masks. Wearing gas for masks, yeah. <laughs> some reason, maybe it wasn't necessary. Not necessarily. Who knows? Now we're into the third place. This is the third place on our road trip with the third guest star. Yes. And this is where we meet. You ready? Wait, wait, wait. before we we meet him, do we need to stress how important it is for Byron at this point that he is sleeping, that he has found a relationship, and that he is almost no longer this android person again? He has found the closest thing to humanity that he has found in this place with Ariel. Like this is, is kind of like the peak of Byron's journey. Yes. At this point. So it's, it's important to understand the rest of the movie to understand so much of what he's gained at this point. Yeah, you're right. And this is where Matt is trying to tell Byron he's, Matt's decided not to bring him in that he's a free man. He's like, yeah, that's right. You mean I'm free to stay? Yeah. <laughs> yes, because he wants to stay with Ariel now. Yeah. So Matt and Byron have this interesting, kind of annoying conversation where they're both trying to tell each other something. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Matt's trying to tell Byron that you're free now, and Byron's trying to tell Matt about this extraordinary experience he had mm-hmm. and how he feels such uh, a use. Ariel wants him to stay there yeah. and to help them, and you know they would be together and all this. Mm-hmm. So then it switches to the leader, Cornelius, played by... Mm -hmm. F. Murray Abraham. Yeah. Famous for... He played... Oh, and I actually get him and Ben Kingsley mixed up. So he wasn't Gandhi. He was Amadeus. Was he? Yeah, I think he was. Oh, you're right. You're right. He was Amadeus. And I think in Scarface, wasn't he uh, a major... He may have been. I don't know that I've seen Scarface. Oh, actually, he's the right, yeah, you know what, he isn't the lead. I, for some reason, I thought he was a lead. He's not that. Al Pacino, no. He he does have a kind of major character in that one, but... Okay. Yeah, so... But yes, so Amadeus shows up. Yeah, so Amadeus is there. <laughs> and so he's apparently the leader of this group, and mm-hmm. he's starting to have... He's uh, upset with Ariel for potentially lying to bring these people in, but he's also fighting against some of the other people in his group, saying that we can't keep doing this forever and yep, so we on. Can't, we can't keep our, our, we can't keep ourselves locked in here and yeah, yeah, we've got to open up to the world. So right in the middle of all that drama, what happens, but. Oh, Tasker shows up again with his guns ablazing. It just starts shooting everybody. <laughs> because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> so it doesn't take long for Matt to come and point a gun at Tasker and Tasker responds Mm-hmm. By by shooting Byron, mm-hmm. and Byron, of course, doesn't really bother him. You can shoot him a lot, apparently. Yep, and Byron says, no more killing on account of me. Yeah, and then, unfortunately, Ariel finds a gun and tries to shoot Tasker. Well, is she, or was she just picking up the gun, and Tasker says, oh, she's going to shoot me, and so he takes aim at her. Well, what do you think? Who do you think she was going to, what was she going to do with the gun? I think she was just picking up the gun. I don't know that she was going to shoot anybody. I think she was going to shoot, I think she's going to shoot Tasker. because okay, to Tas- protect Byron. Because Tasker had just shot Byron. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, you don't think so? I don't know. I don't know why she would just pick up a gun, just, you know, ah, I'm just going to pick up this gun. 
Well, the gun was kicked to me. I'm going to pick it up so nobody else picks it up and uses it. Well, that's right. Her feet. Anyway, okay, okay. Anyway. Everybody's still got the... <laughs> Everyone's holding guns and Tasker shoots Ariel. Ariel, and that is it. She's she's dead. And Byron, poor Byron goes from yeah. top of the world to, to losing everything. Yeah. And I'm still a little bit unsure at this point what Byron is thinking and what he's feeling at this point. Is he like, does Tasker say you're coming with me? And then Tasker walks out of the room and Byron just doing what he's always supposed to do leaves with him. Or does Tasker say you're coming with me, walks out of the room and Byron says, I'm going to go get you. Yeah. It is strange. I don't know why Tasker doesn't try to handcuff Byron at this point Mm -hmm. because he did before. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why he walks away. Like I knew it would come to this, he says. Yeah. So he goes back to his airplane quite a ways away. Yeah. Gets a good lead. So there's a big field and Byron's coming at Tasker and his airplane in like a the Terminator. Field. Yeah, like the Terminator. And Tasker's got a high-powered rifle, takes one shot at him, yep. and he just kind of staggers and keeps coming. Mm-hmm. And and then Tasker decides, well, I'm going to fly into Byron and finish him off that way with my airplane. But it doesn't work. But it doesn't work. Instead, Byron gets sucked up into that big motor. And is somehow okay and the plane is okay and he's able to break through into the cockpit from behind yeah he's like ripping apart the motor so the the plane's starting to you know blow black smoke but it's still flying okay i think it's important to go back a little bit because we skipped over i think an important conversation and it might have it might play into what happens at the very end of the movie okay so back when byron and matt are down in the bowels of the museum fixing the air conditioning yeah, uh, and having their conversation. And Byron is saying that he wants to give him his freedom. I'm sorry, Matt is saying that he's going to give Byron his freedom. Um, Byron says, okay, there's this little bit of dialogue and goes like this. Byron says, I want to do what's right. And apart from that one time, that always means doing what I'm told. Matt responds. He says, you're not a killer. And I think this is this is like another example of Byron replying with the direct truth and people not understanding what he's saying. Yeah. So Matt says, you're not a killer. In fact, you're the opposite. Whatever he was, talking about the person that Byron killed, yeah. he was probably asking, asking for, for it, it anyway. And Byron responds, yes, he was. <laughs> yeah. So are we to understand that this was like a mercy killing yes like that i think you know the man yeah okay absolutely i think byron killed his master but his Mm -hmm. master was sick and old yeah it was a mercy killing or requested that yeah Yeah, that's a terrible term to use mercy killing but yeah yeah. um euthanasia yeah Yeah. it was that's right and presumably he did it in a you know uh humane you know like medically assisted sort of well, Way. according to the guys at Moss Eisley, he snapped his neck in half like a twig. Could well, have been quick. Well, rumors. <laughs> That's are, right. The, who knows? Know, who, I, we might not be able to trust those guys. How reliable are those guys sitting at, That's the, right. at the cantina? That's right. Yeah. But anyway, 
they're up in the plane here, the yeah. big climax. Yeah. Byron is ripping through the wires and wrecking the plane <laughs> so he can get to get Tasker. To Tasker, yep. So I guess he's really excited about being Tasker's bounty, and he just figures, I just better be here with, with Tasker, right? That's what's going on, right? <laughs> yep, so they end up having a real fight. They're punching each other. and So obviously Byron Byron's has decided, decided that he's going to take Tasker out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think whatever happened, Byron has become a free person with his own will a now. A free agent. Yep. Yeah. That's right. And they're fighting and uh, Byron's clearly overpowering Tasker. He's strangling him mm-hmm. and Tasker's just like getting choked to death here yep. and squeaks out that. That quote from the that, very beginning that quote of the movie. from the beginning of the movie, reach out and touch the face of God. Okay. Hang on here. Yeah. Is he saying, I'm about to die. I'm going to, you know, meet God. I'm going to reach out and touch the face of God. Or as he's saying this and he's putting his hand out to Byron's face, is he again alluding to Byron as this all-powerful android, this Christ figure that, no, like, you're like God. I'm going to reach out and touch your face, the face of God. Yeah. And that affects Byron. Byron suddenly stops choking or killing him. And decides that at least puts on a show that even though he's wrecked the cockpit, he mm-hmm. finds the control lines yep. and he's trying to, seems to be trying to pilot. I think that he's ship. legitimately trying to bring it in for, for a safe landing. Yeah. <laughs> but then, <laughs> and Tasker's going, yes, we're going to make it. You can do we're it. We're going to make it. <laughs> oh, there's a mountain. <laughs> and out of nowhere. Suddenly it cuts to the outside and the the plane flies into the side of a mountain and explodes. Yeah. And so they didn't make it. (laughs) They didn't make it. But, so we think that's the end of Tasker, but of course you can't kill Byron with a mountain or anything. That's right. Byron walks back to, to Matt at the outside of the museum, all charred and sooty, but yeah. okay. And, um, helps him on his way. Well, actually Matt at this point helps him on his way to follow his dream. Yeah. And, and we didn't mention that when Byron was sleeping, he did have a dream again about going to be with his people, following the slipstream to the end, to the ocean, going up and up and up. So off they go. And the next scene we see Byron walking up the mountain and, and Matt is down there saying goodbye. I hope you find your people and and he's off to follow his dream. Yeah. Over like a little waterfall or something. Yeah. Yeah, just a little waterfall. It looks huge at the establishing shot and that's just this little waterfall. <laughs> yeah, up he goes. Off he goes and then you think, well, that's that. But then who's there with Matt? It's Belitsky. Yeah. Because Belitsky and Matt are now partners and they're going to go and presumably start Matt's dream of building balloons, his balloon building business his... that he was talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt's wearing an awful wig because this is a, presumably a pickup scene they filmed later <laughs> and he had cut his hair and <laughs> it's just really unnecessary. <laughs> and then there's balloons. 
Yeah, and then the end of the movie is flying through a whole bunch of balloons of all sorts of. They're actually like neat. hot air balloons. Yeah, yeah they're hot cool air balloons. Yeah, they're actually neat designs. Some of them. Oh right? yeah, they're like not just your standard kind. There's all sorts of ones with dangly bits, and yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah, and we could maybe understand that actually this is. Yeah. Years later. And Matt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that Matt has succeeded in his business. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's weird how Blotsky just kind of turned around and decided she liked Matt after all. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think she kind of was dropping hints the whole way along that maybe she had a thing for him or. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. But, yeah, it was a bit strange. It seemed like you didn't really need that character. Like, if you went. This was a, okay, this is my, my thoughts on the movie as on a whole. It's not a, I don't think it's a great movie. I think there's a lot of really interesting things in it. I think it was relatively poorly executed. I think that if this kind of stuff is your cup of tea and you haven't seen it, that you definitely should see it. Like it's, it's, it'll be, it would be a fun watch, but yeah, I think it was poorly executed. Maybe Gary Kurtz didn't really trust his actors to act properly because the acting is strange. Maybe he did bankroll it himself and he didn't have the money to really pull off the the really cool movie that this could be as far as how it, it looks. Maybe he spent money on three big name guest stars that weren't needed that maybe that money could have gone into other production values and yeah maybe they could have gone through the script a few more times and (laughs) tightened it up and maybe even got rid of characters like Belitsky or something like that like it is neat movie and i and i have enjoyed it as i've watched it this week a number of times to see what i could get out of it and i'll probably watch it one more time in my life and i'm not saying don't go watch the movie or that you're wrong for liking it yeah it's it's got some really neat concepts just wasn't executed that great. Yeah, I think what I like I like its world. We just get to see some of this world, but it's a very interesting big world. Uh I yeah. really for a while I really wanted to make a video game about about Slipstream. It could be a cool video game. Yeah, and it it could even be a more open world game where there's all kinds of things happening. Yep. And you got these small aircraft and it'd be a really neat world to explore. It could make a really neat episodic TV show, like yeah. the adventures of, of Matt and Belitsky or <laughs> or Tasker and Belitsky riding the slipstream or Byron and Matt riding the slipstream, going from place to place and having adventures in the world. You know, something like that could work in this, yeah. this world too. I really like Byron's character, he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of like Data, yep. but he is more, somehow even more sincere or more, well, I guess he's more Christ-like or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I, I like the world, I like the characters, I like the situations, it's just there's all kinds of little awkward, disjointed bits. Mm-hmm. So one thing I want to talk about, we just got a couple other things that... The copyright on it yep. is weird. For a while, I actually heard people saying it was in the public domain, and it just seems like an abandoned film, like nobody mm-hmm. cared about it. Now, 
I saw it. I wonder if it was in the Wikipedia. I think so. Yeah. Where somebody addressed that, but you know, Wikipedia is just written by stupid people like us. That's right. Where there's just a line that says this film is mistakenly believed to be in the public domain when in reality it has a proper copyright notice in the end credits. <laughs> That's Oh, okay. <laughs> what, what a ridiculous dispute of the copyright status of it. Yes, of course they put a copyright status at the end of the movie. Yeah. That's not in question. It's not like (laughs) it wasn't made for the public domain in 1989. They didn't put all this money and work into it. Just say it's a public domain movie. (laughs) The, The question is that when it, I guess there's two stages of copyrights you have to renew. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't renewed, then it might go public domain early. I'm no lawyer. Yeah. Um, and the other nature is that if it hasn't been defended at all, like nobody has protected it. Nobody's wanted to put money into protecting this. Right. Therefore, people can say, well, it seems to be public domain because it's just you do what you want. It was on YouTube for free for ages. Nobody did anything. It still is. It still is. Yeah. But there just seems to be a bad quality copy, unfortunately. I'd... Well, I my copy was pretty good. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have to whisper. No, but it's <laughs> it's still just an S, like it's just in four yeah. by three. It's like edited yeah, for right. TV or VHS. So it's not like there's a nice widescreen film restoration, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can buy it on Amazon. There are copies on DVD. I've bought one. Yep. But it just seemed to be the same four by three ratio. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if maybe there is a, if there was a widescreen out there, that'd be awesome. $7.91 Canadian. Yeah. It's, DVD. Yeah. It's not expensive. Okay. So, so the one other thing that I'd like to talk about, and then I think we're mm-hmm. done, is Tron. Oh, Steve- wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. It's rated PG 13. Oh, okay. Yeah. See that on the back of the DVD case. Yeah. I wonder if that's official when it, I guess we don't know, is that a Canadian rating? I guess it is. Right? I, uh, I doubt it. Or that's American? Well, yeah, it's it's printed in Canada, so maybe it is. Yeah. Anyway, maybe. yeah, it's, it's, on that, it's in that space where it could be PG-13, it could be R. But yeah, getting back to a couple other things that you want to talk about. Yeah, so the, the last thing I have, I, I mentioned the word disjointed, where things sometimes just don't feel like they're fit. They fit together quite. They mm. suddenly we've jumped from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Overall, it all flows. I, I think I can make sense of it, but it doesn't have that smooth, yeah, planned narrative. And knowing that Steven Lisberger made this movie, well, we're both you love Tron. Yeah. Uh, like, oh yeah, yeah. Why haven't we haven't talked about Tron? Have we? There's so many things to talk about. Let's talk about Tron sometime. Yeah, Tron to me, feels very much like this movie as well, where mm. much, much of it is like a road trip yep. of them going through this very interesting world. Yeah. Uh, do you remember in Tron, there's this one moment, they're on the solar sail, and there's this really weird moment where I think it's Yuri's voice just saying, and we better watch out for the grid bots. Yeah. And there's this weird cartoon section. Yes. That where they tried to make it look computery, but really it's just these cartoon grit bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Multiplying. And it's just shoved in the middle of the journey. Mm-hmm. We better watch out for this thing. And it shows the thing. 
but the thing and never actually it's happens. Of no consequence. It, yeah. it absolutely doesn't matter. They put, I guess it was planned and it went into the video game. And yep. therefore, they had to somehow work it into the movie yep. by hiring cartoonists <laughs> to, to stick it in there. Yeah. So that, to me, is just like, that is the worst moment in Tron, but Tron mm -hmm. is full of those kind of moments where suddenly you're in a new scene and you, it doesn't quite feel connected. Mm, right. Uh, so it's disjointed, but... In both of these movies, I feel the positive of that is it makes the world itself feel like a bit more of a rich and real place mm -hmm. where there's these little, you're just seeing parts of what's going on in the world, but you know the world has a lot more to it. Mm -hmm. And another moment, like in Slipstream, you're seeing those people, <laughs> like the lady doing her uh, her nude exercises or whatever she was doing there. <laughs> yep. uh, but there were other buildings and lights on or whatever. Yeah. And you think, oh, and there's other planes going by. You know that this is a world full of other people that we never get to meet, but mm -hmm. they are there. Yeah. In Tron, there's moments like that too. Like when, is it when the solar sailor crash lands towards the end of the movie and there's a whole bunch of aliens hanging around, like some. Oh yeah. There, there's just a whole bunch yeah, of other that's right. things and people. So yeah, it's like. Look, there's all this other richness to this world that's never explained. It's just there. And, and I think both, I think Lisberger's, he's not such a great director in the traditional sense, mm. but I think he's a good world creator who mm -hmm. has just neat ideas and mm -hmm. neat concept, not just the world, but the, the philosophy of the world. Tron, yep. Tron has a lot of religious, yeah. uh, components to it as well that get explored partly mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Slipstream also has that. So yeah, I guess that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, for sure. Now the story was um, apparently, okay, at the end of, of the movie in the credits, it says based on story material by Bill Bauer mm. and um, some of the, some of the, well, at least the credits on Wikipedia says story by Bill Bauer and Charles Edward Pogue. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting, like just saying based on story material, like, is there like some sort of novelization mm. of this or was there a book that inspired this? That would be really fun to read, I think. Yeah. Like I've, and, and to answer that question, we don't know. Yeah. I ha I have tried to find any other slipstream material. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've never, yeah. never found anything. Yeah. In a way, I, I wish that Steven Lisberger was able like he wanted to make movies. I kind of mm -hmm. wish that he had an outlet for his ideas that when you make movies, there's always, it's always such a big budget. There's so much writing on it. Yeah. I kind of wish that he had a, a more low cost way of trying out his ideas. Like if, if he was a writer, you know, or like, mm -hmm. like a novelist, I mean, yeah, yep, or, sure. or a comic book writer yep. or, you know, some other way of exploring a world that doesn't involve millions of dollars on the line every mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. Big risk. And sometimes it doesn't pay off. Yeah. So th this was yeah. basically almost the end of the end of line for both Steven Lisberger and Gary Kurtz. Wow. Uh, yeah. People who made some of our favorite things ever. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, this was it. This was a disaster 
Uh, Lisberger did get involved in Tron 2.0 uh, or Tron Legacy. Yeah. Uh, to some degree, but it, it wasn't his full mm. vision. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm glad that when we were talking on one of our bonus podcasts earlier this month that we ended up talking about Slipstream because as much as I'm not planning on watching this again for a long time, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed spending some time with it, you know, watching it critically this week. It was it was, it was good for that. It's not a great movie, but it was fun to spend time with. Yeah, well, thanks for humoring me and uh it's been oh, fun yeah. fun exploring it and I hope I hope we do get more people to pay attention to the movie because it just, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. I don't think it's a great movie, but of the kind of movies I like, this yeah. is, oh, the post-apocalyptic, unusual kind of sci-fi. This, to me, is one of, one of the best movies in the way I like movies. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, if you have thoughts, if you've seen Slipstream, or if any of this is intriguing to you and you want to tell us, A, what you think about Slipstream, what you think about uh, Mark Hamill, or, or... Bill Paxton, or, yep. or Bob Peck, or Liz Berger, or Kurt's their work, Find us on Twitter. You can tweet me at Darren Folds. You can find Robin at 8-Bit Show and Tell. Or you can find us as Growing Up 80s on Twitter at GUP80s. We have a Patreon where for any monthly contribution, you can get access to our exclusive patron-only podcast, which we put out every month. And we also just have regular another regular bonus podcast that we put on Patreon that you can just listen to for free. So head on over to Patreon and look us up there. Yeah, and speaking of our patrons, great big shout-outs to our top patrons, Rob O'Hara and Ian Calhoun. And just a bit backers, thank you to Apogee79, Michael Dornboss, did he tell Dorn us how to- Boss. He did tell us how to pronounce his name. Yeah, and what did he say? Well, he said it's pronounced Dorn Boss. Shouldn't D O O R N be pronounced Dorn? Dorn. Well, well, we'll, we'll do what so he I, says. Uh, well, it's it's ambiguous <laughs> in type. So I'm going to call him Michael Dorn Boss. Even though he told us how to say it? That's what I'm saying. He tried to tell us how to say it, but oh. the way that it's typed doesn't make it necessarily clear. <laughs> it wasn't clear enough, eh? Yes. So I think by spelling it D-O-O-R-N, that should be Dorn. If you wanted it to be pronounced Dorn, you would have spelt it D-O-R-N. Yeah, so it could be Dorn, Dorn Boss. And and we can have fun with this because Michael emailed us and said, you know, he was having fun and he laughs when people mispronounce his name. Okay. So, you know, I'm doing this for <laughs> Michael's benefit. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, MV. Thanks to all our patrons. We thank you. Yes. Thank you, everybody. So for Robin Harbin, I am Darren Folds. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Flying high above the surface, river of wind washes the planet clean. The earth reshaped by the convergence, aloft in the slipstream. In pursuit of a well-dressed man running around the ruined mountain rim. Falls from high, pulled by grappling hook. He fought the
Sees a bounty to break. 